Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Once dubbed by Interpol as the world's most wanted woman, Lisa Marie Smith faced a possible death sentence when she was arrested and charged with drug smuggling in Thailand in 1996. When you go to a Thai prison, you face torture, death, disease and emotional devastation. Welcome to Hell. This is the podcast that tells of the pain Thai prisoners go through and how some of them have escaped. I'm Lisa Tate. I'm a journalist and a chronic podcast creator. This is my third true crime series. Now, we're really lucky today. We have Adrian Simon, who is the author of Milk Blood. He is going to tell us about his experience with a parent being in one of the Bangkok Hilton prisons and how it affected the course of his life. So, Adrian, thank you so much. You're welcome. And your book, Milk Blood, is amazing and it followed you. up your father's book, The Damage Done. He's Warren Fellows. Who is Warren Fellows? Warren Fellows is my father, but he is notoriously known for being an international heroin trafficker who was um, caught trying to smuggle eight and a half kilos of smack from Bangkok and spent 12 and a half years in a Thai prison as a consequence. And he had some colourful friends. He did. I mean, I don't know if you'd call them friends, but he was also arrested with a a famous sports star at the time, Paul Hayward. He was um, an emerging boxer and a Newtown Jets halfback, bit of a legend. You know, he's mentioned in another podcast. Um, Have you heard about the Chris Dawson case, Lynn Dawson? Yeah, it was on. It's been on the news for years and years, on and off. Yeah, the teacher's pet. Now yeah. it's up for appeal, and he denies it, Chris Dawson. But there were allegations that someone tried to go via Chris Haywood to get someone to knock Lynn Dawson off. Right. Okay. So this is the kind of atmosphere <laughs> these guys were in the that yeah. kind of rugby league fraternity, and we're talking like seventies and eighties. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I I don't really know. Given that time period and the people that were circulating in that part of Sydney, wouldn't you know? You well, the know. way I read it from your dad's book and your book is though the boss was Arthur Nettie Smith, a notorious Australian killer. Hmm. But you don't really say no to him once you get involved. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, see, it's hard for me to sort of comment on mm. you know the dealings of my father and Nettie because I wasn't 
privy or no, I wasn't goodness. around. And yeah, I've sort of learnt to remove myself from those sort of even thoughts when I was mm. growing up. Was was quite obviously very messy, and he's a very dangerous. Mm. Or was a very dangerous character. Yeah, it's pretty shady. Yeah, well, you started life living in a penthouse apartment with views of Manly Beach and Sydney Harbour. Beautiful. Yes, until you were two years old when your dad got arrested and they took your mum aside and detained her briefly as well. Yeah, it was uh, guilt by association really, Mm. um, until proven innocent. Yeah, it was a long – that was probably the – well, being so young, I can't remember her Mm. court case, but being removed from my mother when my father was in a – you know, in another country, being arrested was um, very traumatic for oh, me yeah. as a as a young boy. Plus, her parents, you know, that just set everything off. Yeah, it was international news alone. My father being caught in Thailand, mm. they were making a massive deal out of it. It's still a massive deal today, isn't it? It is. I it, look. I could can't tell you how many people I've met mm. traveling and here and abroad that know of my father's story, the damage done, and and now parts of mine. And, and the story at large. There's a lot of interest in, in prisons and drugs and crime and and it's, it's nice for me to be able to tell sort of an extension to that. Yeah, well, a different perspective Yeah. because you had a difficult childhood as well and you, you didn't see grandmother on one side from the age of six, isn't yeah, that right? It's about right, yeah. And is that because things were just so complicated? <sighs> People are complicated, aren't they? Mm. Um Yes, yes, terribly complicated. You know, having a father in a Thai prison, my mum having to support him mm. while looking after me and dealing with the heat back here. She got blamed for a lot of things she wasn't directly connected with. I guess, sadly, my father's mother sort of took a sort of scapegoat option and just pushed us aside. Because mm, it was hard to deal with. Yeah. But your mum took you to see him in prison. Now, this prison is not the one Lisa Marie Smith was in. It's actually another one in Bangkok, and it's known as the Big Tiger. Yeah. And yeah. it's Bang Quang. Bang Quang, yeah. Yep. He, he went to a few. I, I always get them muddled up in the top of my mind, but some Chiang Mai and um, the prison cells in Bangkok. But, yeah, Bangkok Hilton and Big Tiger. It, it supposedly lashes your soul and steals your life. So that was where you went with your mum to that jail in Bangkok. Yeah. You had to wait. It was hot. It was humid. You were yeah. four. Yep. And your mum had to pay off some guards. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, on the outside, Thailand's quite a beautiful place. Um, on the inside of a Thai prison, it's exactly the opposite. It's bloody horrible. It's hot and run down and a lot of barbed wire and steel doors, like you can imagine. Um, but yeah, so mum had to sort of pay her way for us to get in and it was possibly the last time, well, it actually was going to be the last time that my father could see me and vice versa because he was to be executed. Yes, that's right. Like um, David McMillan, he was featured on this podcast as well. He was going to be executed and he had two weeks' notice. Right. Yeah, so yeah. your dad wasn't allowed to touch you. No, we were separated by bars, yeah. We tried, he... he my mum told me, you know, I've got vague memories of things, but mm. like just snapshot images. But you know, he was arms were stretched out, and he was abusing the the guard, and you know, I was screaming and crying, and oh. yeah, it was a horrible moment. There's nothing nice about it. It's dreadful. Yeah. And then when you found out what your dad was in jail for when you were nine, yeah, tell me about that. Well, I kind of was 
I knew, you know, how kids know certain things. And, you know, when I was young, when it went down, I you know, was obviously aware that something bad had really happened. Father was gone. People were acting strange. My mum was always overseas or working in, away a bit. And probably when I was about nine-ish, um, was sitting around at my grandfather's house that we'd moved into just for my stability. And on comes a like a, an ABC kind of news program and there's my father behind prison bars and the room just went ice cold. Like I knew I could just tell the interaction between my mother and her father, who was a very strict English man, mm. smart guy, hated everything that was going on. Ice in a room and I just knew then, penny dropped. You know, I just, even though they didn't say a word, I figured it out. That's such old school Australian though, never <laughs> spoken of again. Well, let's yeah. put it under the carpet, you know. Well, they spoke at length later. Like, you know, they both left the room and it was not nice. Like, mm. you know, it was a case of he was, well, this is never ending. And the next morning my, my mother told me, I, she before I was about to go to school, she just said, well, that was your father and he's in a foreign country. Um, he did a very bad thing and sadly he's not coming home. And... And then after that, it was significant for you because you were having really terrible anxiety attacks. Well, that triggered them, really. Mm. I, I, I was showing pre-mental health problems, mm-hmm. probably. They call it obsessive thought disorder. Yeah. And I was on the cusp of, and I was just showing probably, a, I was too interested in achieving with sport. You know, I was sort of lashing out in class. You know, it's, mm. I look back and go, it's obvious why. But... Um, when seeing him on television and that proverbial penny dropping, I my mind sort of imploded into a repetitive thought cycle and I couldn't get what turned out to be quite violent images into my mind, out of my mind, and it sort of became obsessive mm. and it was scary and I had a breakdown mm. and the breakdown lasted about two years. My gosh, so all those years of your childhood lost, really? Yeah, it was interesting because when I was writing milk blood and I was going back over my childhood and you know I said to my mum I said oh, I had a great childhood and she's like well <laughs> you did but you know there was times there that were pretty awful for you mm. and her like as in having to deal with having me like that but um thankfully I found a way through sort of cognitive behavioral therapy with a child psychologist meditational stuff yeah. and they said something really key to you that correct me if I'm wrong that it's okay to have that thought. It'll go. In a way, yeah. they, it's paradoxical. They want you to face those images and what creates the the, the anxiety yep. in the mind. And and so, yeah, instead of running from it, you, you run towards it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is really interesting. Um, and then your dad comes home. That's obviously a whole unsettled a few things. And he wasn't able to see you until, were you 18 or was it 16? By law, 16. Yep. But it was up to me. Uh, a judge ruled that he would be deemed uh, unsafe to see me, given mm. his time in the Thai prison and the drug abuse and you know the effects, the lagging effects and possibly how he would be. That's right, because your mother heard that he was still getting heroin in the Thai jail. Yeah. Yeah, he was... Full-blown heroin addict. I think yeah. you can get anything on there, like in a Thai prison. Oh, everything. You could. You could yeah. just say, oh, I'd like a dinosaur, and someone <laughs> would find one somehow. <laughs> they'd airlift a T-Rex in. 
Well, David McMillan was saying earlier, he was able to like look after himself okay there mm. because he had some money. So it doesn't like, shock me that there were drugs there. Oh, the place is riddled with it. I mean, that's how the prisoners survived. I mean, I think mm. you know, my father later in life told me, he goes, the first thing I noticed was just how everyone was just completely out of it. I mean, and a lot of it were, apart from what we see as street drugs here being, you know, um, smack and mm. sort of those kind of drugs, but, you know, it was all pharmaceutical drugs and mm. leftovers from the Vietnam War. So you're getting heavy-duty sort oh. of knockout stuff. Oh. Anything they can mix together. Okay, so they weren't getting any Hitler's leftover meth or anything. <laughs> Probably. They could Kennedy was on that, so possibly. I think my father would have had anything. This is not a drug podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We're not condoning drugs, say no. <laughs> Just say no, that's right. You'll end up in the Bangkok Hilton. Yeah. So when did you first see your dad? How old were you then? I was 16. It was. It's bizarre. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I... I was telling a friend about it when we were, years ago we were just talking about when I did meet him. It was at a place called uh, the Courthouse Hotel in Oxford Street, Sydney. And oh, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty seedy. Yeah. It's, um, it's open all night. <laughs> but um, inside the Courthouse Hotel there's what they call the judgment bar. And so the way, the irony, just how it all <laughs> unfolded, <laughs> you couldn't make it up. And um, anyway, so yeah, mum took me in to see him and sort of ready myself and it was a nice sunny day and we walked in and he was sitting there by himself watching horse races and it was funny because I, I saw him and I thought instant relaxation because I was taller than him you know I thought mm. okay so that biological assessment yeah I, I won my first little battle being a bit taller <laughs> <laughs> and I told him that straight away yeah um, but yeah so we he contacted me probably three or four months prior to that. He wasn't allowed to because I hadn't turned 16 yet. He called the house phone yep. and I answered it and I knew straight away that this this wasn't, this wasn't was something different. And Did he sound like you on the phone or anything? Oh, no. Nah, he. Well, I can't really tell. Can't I mean, he no, just had a really good. raspy voice like he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and mm. just was trying to pull the words together oh, and okay. asking me sort of random questions that were a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> and I just put the phone down and rang it, ran out the back and said, I think there's this dude in the phone, he's calling himself Warren. <laughs> and Mum's like, oh, shit. I wasn't prepared for that today. No, mm. no one was, you know. I think she was having a cigarette pretty soon after that as well. Yeah, I imagine she would have because it's so much on her. Yeah. It's not easy being a parent. It's so right. hard and... Just with all these other circumstances thrown in, she had obviously was married to the guy. Yeah, had her whole life changed, and you know had to live with her parents for a while. Yeah, she, well, she chose to do that for for me to mm. have um, stability and um, security in schools and things. And yes, we need to talk about your mum. Yeah, she nearly got yeah. eaten by a tiger. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, her life is. Um, it's out there. And it's um, inspired your book, your second book, yeah, was it? Unbreaking yep. the Girl. Unbreaking the Girl, it's based yeah. on her life. It is. It's um, Yeah, it's based on her travels before she even met Warren. So she had a mm. very sort of um, traumatic childhood herself um, and she left Australia when she was 16 and found her way all through Asia into India 
and um, had a oh, pretty exotic life. Oh, she was chased life. by cannibals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right, in Sumatra. I forgot that oh, bit. That's, that's probably the more unusual than the tiger. Yeah, little heads wrapped around, <laughs> their, <laughs> around their necks. <laughs> this is all true, people, I it tell is. you. It is. Um, okay, so you met him that day at the judgment bar, mm. and what was it like? Was it, was it uncomfortable, awkward? was, yeah. I mean, mm. it was strange. It was actually harder for... Uh, my parents together. Mm. You know, I kind of stepped into a senior role, per se. I don't know how that works, but a psychologist once told me that kids do that when there's oh. traumatic breakdowns with families and parents. And But, yeah, it was weird. I was watching my mum and dad. That's how I looked at it. I was going, my mum and dad, I've never called him dad. And I was like, oh, this is strange. It, yeah. was, it was bizarre. I've got them both in the same room. Yeah, and they, they were acting the role. Were they? Oh, it was clear, yeah. Mm-hmm. Warren, not so much. He was a mess. Like, he was tapping his toe relentlessly under the table and was, you know, deeply affected. Like, I was surprised. I thought he wouldn't live very long by the looks of him. Mm. Yeah, he was pretty messed up. Yeah. He well, was keeping it together, but he wasn't – he was clearly affected. And then one night he rings and said he's bringing out a book. Is that right? Is that how it happened? <laughs> yeah, well, we went to visit him um, – <laughs> He just randomly drops it and says, well, yeah, I'm going to write a, a, a book. And he loved himself. He, he loved himself so much. He's like, it's going to be the best thing in the world. It's a big seller. You know, he's right into it. And mum and I just looked at each other and we're like, oh, God, no, please. Because, <laughs> you know, my, my identity had remained pretty much secret. Mm. My mum and family had hidden me from the heat of pretty nasty potential backlashes from him being in prison. But also... Um you changed your surname. Yeah, when I was seven. Mm. So that's just, I think, yeah, primary school was, okay, it's time to change your name because people will recognise the, the fellow's, it'll follow you, the fellow's surname. And so I was born Adrian Simon Fellows on my birth certificate mm. and my mother's father's surname is Simon. So I extended it and, you know, my mum said, oh, you want to give yourself a middle name? And I was like, do people have middle names? And I didn't realise at that age. Um, James Bond was my favourite movie character and I went, well, it's going to be James. So it changed to Adrian James Simon. Well, that's not bad, is it? Three first names. As your whole name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's quite unusual. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, like, it's different. It is. Yeah. And the James Bond inspiration's quite good. Yeah, I still love James Bond. Mm, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to love James Bond. So he's writing this book. And mm. you're saying, please don't. Well, we didn't say it like that. I didn't object to it. Yep. To him that day because it was a bit of a shock. I was like, I guess, you know, I wasn't interested in media or the focus of, of that. I didn't really know what that entailed directly when he first mentioned it because I was keen on playing sports for Australia and that was a healthy sort of focus. And when we drove home from his apartment, Mum's like, God, this is – you know, she was freaking out because, mm. you know, what we didn't know what he could possibly make up or say or where his head would be or what, you know, they the publishers might want out of it as in what type of story they want to tell. And because mentally he wasn't great either, was he, at the time? No, I wouldn't. No, there's mm. no way. You know, came out a drug addict, mm. um, years of abuse and torture inside yep. the Thai prison 
in conjunction with drug abuse, uh, post-traumatic stress without a question, mm. and he had HIV and Hep C and God knows what else at the time, and that's not a good recipe for health. <laughs> no, it's not. It certainly isn't. Mm. But I suppose he thought, well, as you said, he was pretty confident yeah. that he had it all under control. He probably said he needed the money, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm. That's his <laughs> number one goal in life was money. Mm. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't just an innocent kid who thought he was just going to do this one-time thing and, you know, he, he was all about cash, fast money. You know, he grew up trackside, so mm. he was a gambler mm. and he was an SB bookmaker. So and it's interesting money. that you say when you walked into the judgment bar, he was watching the races. Oh, yeah, he was putting – he won too that day. Was yeah. he distracted by them when you were talking? Uh, not really. I mean, yes and no. He, he, like all punters, they know when their race is on, so they kind of shut up for a 30 seconds or a minute, however long the race is. And yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So how long until the impact was felt by his book? Pretty immediate when it came out. Mm. Um, yeah, that changed everything for us. Did it? It was like, well, because mum told him, you know, to leave us out of it. Mm. And he respected that. So we were spared from being publicised ourselves, thankfully, because yeah. I, I wouldn't have handled it at the time and mum couldn't either. Like, we'd done our best just to move on and just because it kept following us, you know. Yeah. When I mean following us, it's the emotional follow on yeah you know things don't stop no the media does for a time and then comes it back emerges and you know people dive into these lives just for in and out when they have an opportunity but for us as a family it was you know it's a lifelong thing and having him tell his story with the way it is it catapulted him into some kind of celebrity status I remember that stage in Sydney. Roger Rogerson was around and he used <laughs> to have drinks with across from the Fairfax building at the pub there quite a lot. He became a bit of a... And then there was Chopper Reed. Yeah. There was this kind of humanising of criminals mm. in the Australian media. So I can totally see what you're saying. It's a bizarre thing. I mean, because mm. when you're on the other side of it and you, you understand what that world can provide, as in the consequences of all these actions, mm. you know, it's, it's nothing what you see in the media or on the TV or on the news or anything. It's, it's not glamorous. It's, it's mm. crazy. It's full on. They're it not is. normal people. Well, um, when I was talking to David, he just said it's a miserable life. But Yeah, I can imagine. It's, mm. 
everything's glamorized, isn't it? For you know, it's fantasy kind of projection of things. Sadly, so yeah. I mean, Australia was founded on convicts, or you know, the white settlement of Australia, mm. and having um, Ned Kelly and those mm. kind of characters sort of immortalized as folklore, sort of that backbone of that, that rebellious, roguish kind of criminal mm. sort of became popular. It is popular. Yeah. Where Warren, he was a different character. He was he was a very smooth, sharp-talking, good-looking person who knew how to talk a big game. So he was charming everyone. He was an A-class narcissist. <laughs> was he? Yeah. Yeah, he loved himself. <laughs> <laughs> so he thought his book was great. Oh, yeah. And it was ghost written, though. Yes. So he thought it was the bee's knees. He thought he was the bee's knees. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, he so the book comes out, he thinks he's the bee's knees, he's getting all this attention. Yeah. Did it so it ricocheted onto you guys though, didn't it? Yeah, I mean I I I don't know. I'm the type of person who I take things in quite deeply. Yeah. And I think that happened from word go. And so I have a, a huge amount of energy to expend and so I expended it. <laughs> I got quite, not just pushing everything I had into sports, but if I was out and you know, I got into a lot of fights, mm. cutting it down. Yeah, yeah, and then you went overseas because you were like, I've had enough. And yeah, I took too many hits to the head. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Um, your mum must have been so worried about you for uh, a while. She brings it up every now and then. Like, Does she? Yeah, it's the worst. Um, but you went and had like an adventure now with your grandfather's brothers mm. on your mum's side yeah. and was it the Isle of Wight where you were going around? Uh, yeah, it was uh, the Channel Islands mm. and Alderney and um, then my John, my grandfather's other brother, he had seven or nine brothers actually, but he was in France and he kind of opened my, my whole world to mm. the possibilities of everything. He was in Toulouse, wasn't he? Not far from there, yeah. 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 Because I think you wanted to make your own way, didn't you, and not be guarded by that story. Although, did you ever hear of it come up in the UK or did anyone recognise you as the son of Warren? They didn't recognise me, but... So I went to play cricket. That was my break to get to the UK and I was 21 and about a week or two later I flew to the UK, cricket bag, had people looking after me. Thankfully, my first um, place that I stayed was a guy the same age and best mates now but mm. within a few days he came home from work and you know I was just chilling and comes in with a FHM magazine uh, which was a very popular magazine back in the day in the UK and he's like oh man it was blokes at work are talking about this story this guy in a Thai prison you know it's like full on and uh, I was sort of brushing it off and then he just like shoved it on in front of me and I was like god that's my dad you're not gonna believe this <laughs> and he goes I just said have a good look at the picture and he's like no way, man, you can't be serious. I mean, he couldn't believe me straight up. And then There is a resemblance, though. When he was younger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the lifestyle knocked it, knocked his looks away. But, yeah, so it did follow me in that sense. And it, How know, long did UK it take you to story. convince you, mate? About the length of one joint. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you're in the UK. We don't yeah, want you getting arrested. Yeah, no, we don't. We say no to drugs. Although... The ironic thing is now Thailand has decriminalised for personal use marijuana. Oh, is it? 
Isn't that interesting? After destroying lots of lives. I don't think I'll be able to, like, go back there for a while, even though I'm using my maiden name. Right. I don't want to get, like, thrown in myself for being a journalist. I like <laughs> to lock journalists up. Do they? I don't know. I was, I was pretty um, apprehensive to go there myself. Because you thought you'd be on a list. Well, yeah, we used to get searched quite a bit, going travelling, yeah. So you're having this great time in the UK, but when did you decide to write the book? Was that while you were living there or did you come back home? No, it was a long time after that. Was, um, I always had it in my mind that something I might do. Yep. There were stories to tell, but they weren't formed. I was far from understanding myself and mm. I was living a pretty decent life travelling, getting away from the past. Mm. Uh, it took me probably my mid-30s. I, I had a media career for a while and yep. understood more about how to pull stories together. Uh, basically, I didn't really have much of an idea, but I started off wanting to make a film out of my father's book, mm. which sort of bonded us back together after being estranged for a long time. I know we've jumped time period there, but that's how it sort of started for me to then thinking about my own story. So how long were you estranged? Uh, best part of, well, on and off, like you mm. came in and out in sort of weird and random ways, but... You know, I left when I was 21. Mm-hmm. I travelled for the best part of 10 years and, you know, came back and forth quite a bit, but he wasn't around. So mate, I would have saw him probably four or five times in that in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then something happened and I decided that I'd never wanted to see him again. He just, I don't know, really upset me mm-hmm. and that was it for me. Yep. And I was overseas and I remember the, the moment I was like, well, you know, I can't ever, I've got to get rid of him. Because you realise, yeah, his yeah. life drags me down. Yep. I can totally understand that. It's yeah. You kind of get that. <laughs> yeah, but I took him back later in life. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, but that's when he came back into my life when um, he just contacted me through this really random person. Yep. Who also was a, a knockabout crook. Um and he wanted to see me and he, he just called me one day and I, I picked up the phone and I probably was early 30s mm. and I shouldn't have answered but I did and yeah, I caught up with him again and he didn't look too well, he was very sick, sort of out of it and then I, mum told me, he goes, oh, how did he look and then she explained that yeah, he was clearly medicated. Okay. Yeah. Was he really unwell then too? Yeah. He thought... Well, we all thought he'd, he wouldn't live long coming out of prison because... No, it's quite remarkable really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. With HIV then, yeah, people sort of don't really think about it too much these days, but I think that was partly why he was released from prison. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, having H- HIV and AIDS was a death sentence then. Yeah, it was. So we didn't really think he'd live too long. But he did. So yeah. we're talking now like your mid... Mid-30s when you saw him after coming back, or 30, 31? Yeah, I was, I was about that age, and that's when he reconnected me after that 10 years sort of apart. And he, he did, as I said, he didn't look well, and there was that ethical family question within myself. Mm. Is this a time to make amends and try to sort of heal a, a pretty um, um, or beyond broken sort of relationship? And he expressed his an interest to, to do so. So there were moments where he was genuine in wanting to have a son in his life. That's interesting for a narcissist. Well, there was things to gain for him. Mm. Yeah. It sucks for me to be able to say that. Like, he wasn't a totally bad person. You yeah. Know, there is goodness in him. But, you know, after 
so before prison, he was quite a shallow man. Yeah. And he was gifted in himself. Yeah. And, you know, there was nice sides to him. Like, he, he genuinely, you know, my parents lived in India and he'd pay for mm-hmm. kids to, you know, shave their heads and you know, give them money. And yep. So there was a, a caring and giving side to him. But when it came to his core personality, it was about him. Mm. Um, but going through prison and coming out of prison, I think that just amplified it. Yes. Intensely, because when you're in there, in a place like that, you don't have anything, and what you do have, you hold on for dear life. And so he, he, and with all the drugs and the horrific stuff he saw, and I'm not making excuses for him, but no. I think it, it really um, reshaped his brain chemistry. Yes, it would have. Yeah. So yeah, he was a very damaged individual. So when did you decide to write your book then? Well, I, I shot off overseas after spending some time with him because I was living in the UK and I had con- connections from working at Sky News. And I thought, well, I'll take his book um, and as a father and son, we'll um, make a movie together yep. out of his story and that will be our way to heal. And I went overseas and spent nearly a year just couch surfing and doing whatever I can to, to get this thing moving and met different people in the industry and wasn't long into my time that you know industry leaders filmmakers were saying kind of we want to know about you and your mum and want to thicken up the story Mm. so is there more to this you know your father's book huge numbers sold and many people know it but what else have we got to work with and so connected with a, a couple of um producers and one thing led to another where i was asked to sort of fill in some gaps Mm-hmm. And then I started talking to my mum and she started divulging in, in, in things and one thing led to another. I, I put pen to paper and wrote Milk Blood when I was about 35. So it came out a few years later. It is an amazing book. I just think because it opens your eyes to what you may not think about, you know, because there's like the whole media focus. But you have to live that your whole life. And I just find it's an incredible account. It's chronological but I like also how the hero of the story is not him, it's your mother. Well, she was the hero. Yeah, yep. she kept it together. Absolutely. How, she, she did. The strength of her is remarkable. Mm, strength of character. Yeah. Her father would always impress on us because the, they were from that war generation. Mm. You know, it was internal fortitude and they had a very different way of projecting their own personality. Never complain. Never explain. Never explain. That's right. You know, carry on. Exactly, yeah. I don't think there'll be another generation quite like them. No. I, I, I still like to hold quite a lot of the values that I was mm. imparted with yep. from that. Absolutely. Obviously, you had for a while it percolating in your head, a book. And how long did it take you? From start to finish, I probably the first draft, maybe a year. Mm-hmm. Like intensely wrote nearly every day for about eight months. Yep. Um, and it was about 130,000 words, which I, I just... I'm writing a sh- couple of short stories at the moment. I'm like 20,000 words. I'm going, how on earth did I do 130,000 words? I was words? just was thinking like, that. This podcast <laughs> is 12,000 words yeah. so far. So right. that's a lot of writing, 130,000. It, it is. But it got trimmed back and then publishers get involved and editors come in and, you know, they tidy everything up. And, you know, because I, that was the first time project for me. I, I didn't excel at school with mm. um, English, and but I learnt through media... The, the type of um, how to contain what I thought would be the right story to tell commercially. So I learned a lot putting that book together. Uh, but, yeah, from start to finish, you know, getting contracts and publishing deals and 
finished product takes about two two years, I'd say. And I suppose the um, reaction you got from your family was different to the people who've read the book, like, you yeah. know, your average reader. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, friends, I, it's harder for me to ask, like, if they come out and tell me what their thoughts are, um, that's great. And I've actually learnt a lot about my friends from them reading my story as well. They've felt they could open up and say a few different things about their past and what's been quite relatable in, in my story to theirs. And I also get that with um, strangers that contact me. Yeah. You know, I randomly just get messages from people and I love it actually because people are quite thoughtful in their approach and they introduce themselves and then they say, well, this part, you know, I'm a teacher or, you know, I did this or travelled here and, you know, whatever it is. And it's really nice to humanly connect on that. Yeah, absolutely, it is. But you also had someone who thought you were related <laughs> contact you. Oh, recently. Yeah. 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 That's right, yeah. Sadly, it didn't work out. It, um, I was quite, I don't know how to take it at first. It was just approached and... But we did the DNA test and it, it, it wasn't... Poor guy. You have to feel yeah. for him when he thinks that he's finally um, got a connection and then no. Yeah, it's sad. He, he, I'll give it to him though. He, I learned a few things from his strength because mm. I had to put myself in his shoes. He was adopted at birth and then into sort of a religious church, I guess, for the first six years and then into a family and he didn't know his father at all and only met his mother like... In a decade or imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. To, to a go so you know having to um have all those questions answered i wish i could have um we got a positive result being cousins but we weren't you weren't well but he was strong like he was prepared for it i think it's true everyone has a story and if you want to know more about adrian's story or what happened with his dad you'll have to buy the book <laughs> we'll we leave it on a cliffhanger shall we well there's always more I mean, exactly, and we're very lucky. Adrian has um, donated two books 
Milk Blood and his father's book, The Damage Done, which I can give away. So go to escapingbangkok.com and I'll put a link in the show notes. But everyone does have a story and thank you for sharing yours. Hey, you're welcome. It's always fun to um, impart some of this past. I, like I was just thinking to myself yesterday on, on final note that mm. um, I'm 45 now and I actually, it's quite uh, surreal now. I look back and go, did, did that all happen? Because I feel I'm a completely different person now. Yeah, you do, don't you, yeah. as you get older? That's right. You, you realise at different ages, you go, well, okay, you've got to live with that and what else now? Exactly, exactly. You just, and I think it's easier to, to sort of gloss over time. Yeah, time has different meanings. Like, mm. I guess when you hit your middle age, like I am, you kind of go, well, okay, better figure out what I want to do now for the rest of it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> to be happy and healthy. Exactly. But thank you, Adrian. We so appreciate you sharing your story. No, thank you. And I'll put all your social links in the show notes as well. So if people want to um, have a look, check you out on Facebook, or that would be great. Yep, yep. Come over and Excellent. Check well, it out. thank you. Thank you. This podcast was recorded on Warramai land. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this program was produced. We pay our respects to all First Nations people and acknowledge Elders past and present. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back next week. Until then, this is Lisa Tate and don't forget to ask yourself, could you survive a Thai prison? This is the Escaping Bangkok Podcast. If you're hungry for more, follow us, Escaping Bangkok Podcast, on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or visit escapingbangkok.com.